Thank you so much for coming to the fourth annual Texas Tribune Festival. Uh, and welcome to Texas versus Same-Sex Marriage. Uh, we have five great panelists here from across the political spectrum who I'm excited to introduce you to. Um, before I do, I just want to remind you that obviously this is a sensitive topic and we're here to have a civil discourse and conversation and um, anything louder, really, than rolling your eyes is probably not appropriate. So thank you again for being here. You'll have an opportunity to participate in a Q&A at the end, so save your questions for the end. Uh, there will be 45 minutes of discussion before we turn it over to the audience. So, And um, finally, please silence your phones, and if you're tweeting, the hashtag for this track is TTFJustice. All right, so we'll start with some introductions here. First on my immediate left is State Representative Mary Gonzalez. She's a Democrat elected in 2012 to represent El Paso, the El Paso area in the Texas House. Uh, she serves on the County Affairs and Agriculture and Livestock Committees. Uh, at the time she was elected, Gonzalez was Texas's only LGBT legislator, and she's the country's first elected official who identifies as pansexual, meaning she doesn't believe in a gender binary uh, and is attracted to people with all gender identities. Uh, she has, has said her biggest accomplishment in her first legislative session was overcoming stereotypes among her colleagues. On her left, State Representative Matt Kraus was elected in 2012 to represent Fort Worth in the Texas House. He serves as a constitutional attorney, college professor, and executive director of the Torch of Freedom Foundation. Previously, he served as litigation counsel for the Liberty Council, which is dedicated to advancing religious freedom, the sanctity of life, and the family and stands against same-sex marriage and public domestic partner benefits. Uh, while he opposes same-sex marriage, he has said, I think on Facebook was the most recent place I saw it, <laughs> that the, quote, heterosexual community has done more to undermine the traditional family than same-sex marriage ever could. Uh, Neil Lane is a San Antonio-based partner at Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld, and he's conducted more than 30 jury trials, bench trials, and arbitrations. He is the lead counsel for the two same-sex couples in Texas who filed a federal lawsuit seeking to overturn the constitutional amendment uh, that bars gay marriage here in Texas. Uh, a U.S. district judge ruled that ban unconstitutional in February, and the state's lawyers have appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans. Mark McKinnon is co-chairman of Freedom to Marry, a group that promotes same-sex marriage nationally, and he's the Texas chair of Southerners for the Freedom to Marry. Uh, the longtime GOP communications pro who served as the principal media strategist for George W. Bush's presidential campaign is co-founder of the nonpartisan political problem-solving group No Labels. Uh, McKinnon has argued that the Republican Party should embrace gay marriage both to stay relevant and to align with the party's mission of individual liberty and building strong families. And then finally, we have Jonathan Sines, who's the president of Texas Values, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing a culture of family values in Texas. Sines has worked to pass laws in Texas to protect religious liberty, Bible curriculum in Texas's public schools, and he's an outspoken advocate for upholding the state's same-sex marriage ban. He previously served as an attorney and director of legislative affairs for the Liberty Institute, which is a national legal organization that works to defend and restore religious expression in schools, the military, and in public spaces. All right, that was a mouthful. We have a lot of panelists here. So let's start by getting up to speed on the major court case that is in play in Texas right now. Uh, a U.S. district judge, as I said, in February ruled Texas's same-sex marriage ban was unconstitutional. That case has been appealed to New Orleans, to the Fifth Circuit Court, which is known as being a more conservative court. Uh, Mr. Lane, you're the attorney for those couples. Do you want to start us off? You know, how good do you think their chances are, given that court's history? Well, I think their chances are very good in the Fifth Circuit, because although it's a conservative uh, circuit, 
it also is, has a reputation for following the law and following the precedent of the Supreme Court. What, where we are now is that Judge Garcia struck down restrictions on same-sex marriage. The state has filed its brief. The plaintiffs have filed their responding brief, their appellee's brief, and we're waiting for the reply brief. Between the time that Judge Garcia struck down the restrictions and now uh, this briefing, four different circuit court opinions have come down, uh, including two in the Tenth Circuit, one in the Fourth Circuit, and one by Richard Posner, who is a Reagan appointee, a very conservative uh, intellectual justice, all in favor of marriage equality, all affirming district court orders striking down restrictions on same-sex marriage. So we're waiting for the Fifth Circuit to set an oral argument. Um, it hasn't occurred yet, but we're looking forward to the opportunity to present the arguments to the Fifth Circuit. Obviously, Mr. Sines, you have a different uh, approach probably on what the outcome of this case is going to look like. Tell us where you stand. Sure. I, I think there's no question uh, that eyes across the country are looking at what's going to happen in Texas and particularly the Fifth Circuit on this ongoing effort to redefine marriage um, and to particularly to use the judiciary and take away the will of the people and the role of the people to be involved in this decision. And I think one of the most significant things that's happened uh, here recently was this uh, federal court decision out of Louisiana upholding the marriage law, which was decided by the people at a current uh, a rate similar to Texas. 78% of the voters voted in favor of that marriage law. In Texas in 2005, after going through the legislative process, the people of Texas approved our state law defining marriage as one man and one woman by 76%. And so that decision uh, is very key in the timeline of this issue, because I think leading up to that point, um, what the opponents to our marriage laws were saying that, oh, this is inevitable, everything's going in our direction, um, and not to say that, that you can draw too much from that, but all of a sudden you've got a decision out of Louisiana, a federal court decision. In addition to the fact that federal court then answers to the Fifth Circuit just like Texas does. And so I think that's uh, something that's happened in, in, um, in between this, uh, or before that decision as well, you had 20, over 20 groups filed briefs in the Texas case, standing for marriage laws, and that was African-American groups, that was uh, groups that were from different religious backgrounds, some were not religious, uh, academics, and so I think that you're now having a more robust discussion, and people are wondering uh, what's going to happen next instead of the media just accepting that's inevitable, which we never conceded, as, um, as you might imagine, but I think now a lot of people aren't sure they know what's going to happen, and I think uh, it will be decided, or a lot is going to happen based on uh, what the Fifth Circuit does from, uh, in, in regards to this Texas case and the issue overall. So this idea of, uh, that it's you know, media-led inevitability, I mean, since the U.S. Supreme Court struck down part of the Federal Defense of Marriage Act in 2013, there have been 21 consecutive federal court decisions finding same-sex marriage bans unconstitutional. Utah, Oklahoma, Virginia. Obviously, we had the Louisiana case recently, which is different. Um, of course, we're waiting on the Texas ruling. Mr. McKinnon, can you talk a little bit about, about the national tide? I mean, do you see a national tide turning here, or is sure. this different in the South than it is in the rest of the country? Uh, well, in my 30 years uh, of working in, in politics and public policy, I've never seen such a dramatic shift in public sentiment over an issue like uh, marriage equality. Uh, you know, I happen to believe in it uh, uh, just because I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, but let me, let me just talk about it politically from a political consultant perspective and, and what I think is good for the Republican Party. Uh, first of all, I think it's inconsistent for a party whose fundamental message is more liberty, less government, and stronger families to oppose same-sex marriages. 
Number two, this arc is shifting and is shifting fast, and uh, 60% of Republicans under 30 support marriage equality. So this is headed this direction fast uh, in terms of public sentiment. It's shifting and shifting fast, and for a party that has a brand problem with being stuck in the past, uh, supporting uh, uh, policies that, that aren't progressive, that aren't in, in step with the times, I think is problematic for our party to regain a majority in the presidency and maintain majorities uh, in the House and hopefully in the Senate. Uh, but, but I think that this is a, a classic issue. You know, I'd like to see Republicans return to our traditional, we'll go back to Lincoln and talk about, let's start expanding freedoms rather than limiting freedoms. You know, I'm curious, I'd like to hear some of the Republican, uh, our Republican legislator talk about this a little bit. Representative Krauss, you were one of 63 Republican lawmakers who signed a federal brief uh, in August arguing that lifting the state's same-sex marriage ban could clear the way for things like bigamy, pedophilia, incest. Can you explain what you all meant in that brief or what the point was you were trying to make? Yeah. Yeah, everybody's laughing, but it, but it was taken out of context. And what we had done there was uh, we had quoted the uh, federal district judge who made the opinion in that case, and we quoted the House Research Organization about some of the legislative intent when that bill was put into being. So I don't think any, uh, any of the 63 of us thought if this gets struck down, pedophiles are going to run our streets. That's not what we were saying. But I do think the important fundamental part of that is, is that once you take the uh, structures off marriage between one man and one woman in the context of raising children, uh, then you get into what's the limiting principle. Well, from now on, what's the limiting principle with marriage? I mean, why is it just a number? Because they're saying we go from, in the context of marriage, raising children, to just, you know, anybody who you love. Well, what's the limiting principle to that? And I think that's where we get uh, a little nervous and concerned, because if you don't have a limiting principle to the institution of marriage, you know, uh, I, I saw an article years ago in Brazil uh, out of The Guardian that said uh, uh, a Brazilian uh, county clerk or somebody had just sanctioned a throuple, you know, a, a, a three-person union. Uh, we know that in Utah, a federal judge just struck down parts of the polygamy ban in Utah. And again, we're not saying, nobody's saying that if A happens, then B, C, D, everything's going to happen. But if you mess with A, you don't know what's going to happen later on because you've taken out that limiting principle and there's nothing to keep that in check and, for, and the reason that it was formed in the first place. You look like you would like to jump in here. Of course I would. <laughs> um, Matt, Representative Krauss, uh, I think my concern and other people who are uh, in support of marriage equality's concern is this is a typical tactic used by conservatives and Republicans. Let's, let's throw out something that's really shiny. Let's create fear to distract from actually trying to promote um, equality, trying to interrupt oppression, trying to make sure that we're not discriminating. I, I think it's a, a tactic, right, to say, well, what's going to happen if we allow for people who are, are same-sex to get married? So since, that, since possibly a, B, C, and D could happen, let's not allow A to happen. And we have to recognize that as a tool, that is a tactic, that is a way to continue to perpetuate oppression and discrimination and stereotypes. And it doesn't connect with the reality of people's lives, the reality that people are being denied over a thousand rights because they don't have access to marriage equality. So let's talk about A before you even talk about B, C, and D and recognize the, the, the strategy behind that. Uh, Mr. Sines, you've been quoted on this topic, you know, saying that, that if Texas 
if this ban gets lifted, that Texas might not be able to prevent polygamy, might not be able to prevent people marrying their own relatives, um, you know, what do you think the end result in this particular case might be? Well, it's unfortunate that uh, some folks don't want to accept the reality that's been discussed in this GOP brief, and um, because it's already happening. Um, Representative Krauss mentioned a, a trio in Massachusetts that wants to consider themselves married as a throuple. In, in a brief that was submitted in the Fifth Circuit on this issue, they talk about folks that support redefining marriage looking to redefine other things and change other principles when it comes to marriage. And it all goes back to the question of what is marriage? What is marriage when we talk about, if we're going to have this discussion, what is it? And up until most recently, it's been accepted as it's a union between a man and a woman, and it's designed to uh, have people go in the direction of being married, to have stability for raising children. But along with that have been the concepts and principles of exclusivity, of monogamy, and also permanency. And Andrew Sullivan, who's one of the strongest writers on this issue, um, has written about this and said, you know, these are things that, you know, as far as um, same-sex couples um, having, you know, more freedom, if you will, or uh, having changes in these relationships and uh, having uh, openness, is what he says, in their relationship would be good for marriage. Um, and what he's referring to is, is not ish, uh, being monogamous or not um, having those concepts of fidelity. Um, I think the lady's name is Victoria Brownwith. She's written on this as well. And others have written about that saying they want to see more changes in marriage than just between a man and a woman, it being two um, of the same sex. They've challenged these issues of monogamy, of permanency, and exclusivity. Those are major principles that marriage stands on. And so when you attack all those things, of course, what is the legitimate argument for denying a quartet or a thruple? How could you legally say they don't have a freedom to be with the person that they love or the group that they love if you want to just change it for, for uh, one set, you're going to have to change it for others. Otherwise, you don't have a legal argument. Would you like they to have the legal protection argument? as well. Because there is the, a legal argument. What is argument. the legal argument? Okay, so <laughs> waving the bloody shirt of polygamy to scare people away from allowing equality is a standard approach that's been going on for a long time. And, and some people may actually legitimately fear this, but it's a, it's a fear tactic and it's hogwash. Here's the reality. Yes, there was a constitutional amendment that was passed by a majority of Texans recently in the last, within the last 10 years uh, banning same-sex marriage. In 1870, let's not forget, Texans ratified the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. And what that said was no citizen will be denied equal protection of the laws. Equal protection, okay? And what we have now is we have a group of people in this in this state, Texas is a Jim Crow state for gays and lesbians. What does that mean? There are laws that are directed at removing their legal rights, making them less equal than 80% of the people in the state. Now, the reality is my clients, the plaintiffs in our case, they merely want to have the same rights as everyone else, the equal right to marry the person they love, to, to signal their commitment, their love, and their devotion to each other. They, no one in Texas is permitted to, in, to have a polygamous union recognized by the law. There, that is the constraining principle. Denying people equal rights, you can't deny people equal rights on the theory that they're going to want unequal rights, okay? 
No one has the right to engage in a polygamous union. All opposite-sex couples have the right to be married. Same-sex couples should be given the same equal right to have a union and all the many benefits that flow from being married. I, I have to say, though, my question to you, then, is if you had a, a, a trio or quartet, um, so you're saying you wouldn't defend them, that they would not have a right to decide of the group of people or the people that they wanted to uh, be married to and the union that they wanted to make, you would not defend them? You don't think they have equal protection as well? Would I defend them? Let me say, what I will say is they don't have a legal constitutional right to engage in a plural marriage. Unless a federal judge says so? Uh, the federal to villain to I know that you vilified federal judges and you said these are activist judges at the time of our hearing and you said activist judges like Judge Orlando Garcia are are recognizing marriage equality and since that time there have been twenty other decisions including four circuit court decisions by judges who were appointed by George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, Ronald Reagan. This is not activist judges. These are, these are real judges applying the law. And the law is, what they're not finding is that there is a constitutional right to plural marriage. That, that's not what they're finding, and there's not a legal argument for that. Okay? If, unless someone makes it and a judge agrees with that. And that's my question to you, and I think it's a relevant question is why do the same equality arguments that are being made for same-sex couples, why would you deny three people that same equality? I'm going to say it in a simple, simple declarative sentence because I thought I said it before. <laughs> no one has a right to enter into a plural marriage in the state of Texas. According to your opinion. No one currently has a legal right to enter into plural marriages in the state of Texas. So there's not a minority being denied the rights of the majority. Everyone... Is uh, who are in opposite sex relationships, relationship with opposite can can be married to that person. People who are in relations with someone of the same sex are not permitted. They don't have the equal right, and it's a question of equality. They want to be treated the same. So I want to talk just for a couple of minutes, uh, moving back from plural marriage to same-sex marriage. Um, you know, Mark, I want to talk for a minute. Obviously, you worked for George W. Bush. You have a, a long history working with the Republican Party. Have you had a, a personal transformation on this issue, or is this how you've always I've felt? always believed in it. And so what has spurred your latest uh, activity in this realm? Well, I, I'd like to see Republicans uh, achieve a presidential majority again. I'd like to see the Republican Party... Uh, grow and evolve and adapt to uh, to to, uh, to the times and uh, become relevant again. Uh, and, and as I said, I think Republicans have a big brand problem, and part of that I think is a failure to recognize issues like marriage equality. And I and and so I part I, I believe in it personally. I think it'd be good for the Republican Party. I think it'd be consistent with our ideology. I think it'd be consistent with our with our. Not recent history, but our long history. And Representative Krauss, I was going to say, I mean, we have a state, obviously, with a huge Republican majority in the legislature that, that does not share this view. Uh, do yeah. you think that Mark is misguided? Well, first of all, I will say that Mark has more political experience in his pinky than I do in my whole uh, <laughs> life. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, second-guessing him. But, you know, I, I do think... Uh, that's an error because, it, as I see it, once you go to same-sex marriage, I think that actually increases government, enlarges government because you have to have more laws, more regulations. You have to see where this plays and that plays. You have to have other governmental agencies uh, uh, regulating this, that, and the other. So I, I don't believe that it actually limits government. I think it could create bigger government. So I think from a Republican platform, that's, that's very consistent. 
Secondly, I don't think any Republican, uh, the reason John McCain is not in the White House is not because of his support against, or for traditional marriage. It was because of the economic collapse and how he handled that. Mitt Romney, I think, was more to do with 47% than it did his beliefs on traditional marriage. Uh, I think the Republicans are about to overtake the Senate, uh, and I don't know of any of the senators in the eight states where uh, things are really in play where they're advocating for marriage equality. So um, I, I don't think it's as much of, of an issue that's going to keep us from political relevancy as Mr. McKinnon said. I think if we stay true to our core principles, articulate them well, then, then it'll follow through and the, the majorities and the numbers will come. But I don't think, uh, I, I don't think what we're doing, standing for traditional marriage, compromises the Republican brand, and I don't, I don't think it's bad in the long term. All right, Representative Gonzalez, you know, your sexuality, for better or for worse, was a part of your campaign. Uh, it's something that, that you've talked about in, you know, news articles. Um, what's it like being in a legislature um, and, and having a, a public stance, if you will, <laughs> on your personal life, on your intimate life, uh, you know, known to all of your colleagues? It's amazing. To be completely honest, it's been very difficult. I, I think that the, when I first decided to run, there was a choice. There was a choice to stay in the closet or to, or to be out. I mean, it's not saying I wasn't in the closet. I, I don't, um, there was a choice to be out in the, during the campaign or not to be out during the campaign. I remember the first conversation I had with Annie's List, they asked me, are you going to, you know, we Googled you, which is like the worst thing anyone can do. Um, and they said, we see that you're openly LGBT identified. And I said, yes. And they said, well, during the campaign, are you going to say that you are? And I said, yes. And then the fear was in their faces um, because there had been nobody who had openly said, uh, here's how I identify and here's why. But if you look at the context of my first race, my district had uh, been plagued with some political corruption, unfortunately. One of my opponents was arrested for drug trafficking um, during my race, and there had just been some of these, these, these situations where my community felt that elected officials lied or weren't always honest. And so here it was, the most personal detail about my life. And I, was want, I wanted to share that with my constituents because I didn't want them to Google me and hear it from somebody else. I didn't want it to be a scandal in the paper. I wanted to know, I wanted them to know that they would have a, legislate, a legislator, a representative, who would always be honest, who would always be authentic, and who would personally use my own self as a symbolic gesture of truth um, so that they could trust an elected official again. Because when my little brother, I told him I was going to run for office, he said, all elected officials are bad people. And I don't want him to feel like that. I want him to feel there are good people who run for office. And so even though after I came out again um, to the whole world, and that was really difficult, um, I do believe it is the best thing to do to create awareness, consciousness, and help people overcome stereotypes. Um, Mr. Sines, speaking of Googling, uh, you know, I think that if it, your opponents have suggested that, suggested that your opposition to same-sex marriage and defense of traditional marriage is also rooted in a very personal experience. Uh, the online publication Lone Star Q published court documents that indicate that your wife was involved in an extramarital affair with another woman prior to your, your divorce. Uh, has that experience shaped your opinions or your beliefs on this topic at all? Well, there's no question that... Um, the beliefs that I have when it comes to marriage, uh, when it comes to the uh, importance of marriage and the impact that it has on public policy and society, um, there's a long history of me being involved in that. And so, um, so I feel very uh, thankful 
that I've been able to work on those issues, going all the way back to my time at the University of Texas here when I was a student studying under uh, the late Norville Glenn, who has passed away, but I was a part of the sociology department, and I was a part of his marriage policy class. And so I've always had uh, these strong beliefs. And so, you know, out of respect for my former wife and the mother of my children, you know, any questions regarding decisions that she has made and beliefs that she has, I think are better left to her. But I think any time that you see a marriage um, end and you see children that are involved, um, it's something that I think uh, is very real and it's, a, and it's a concern. And I think it, it leads people to think about these issues and think about why when we talk about these concepts, they do actually impact people's lives, but they impact things um, across the state, across the country. Um, when it comes to policies, and these policies that we have, particularly some that deal with divorce and uh, we, you know, no-fault divorce, things of these nature that I think have a, could have an impact of encouraging people to think, you know what, giving up on permanency or giving up on monogamy and fidelity and thinking that the answer um, is to move on to another relationship. And so um, these are very real important issues that we deal with. And so no-fault divorce, I think Representative Krauss you know, made a reference earlier, has had a very negative impact, we th- I think, on marriage, on people's lives, and, um, and is in, I think in some ways encourages people to just get out um, way too soon. We've supported policies that would allow for um, people to, to not move into that decision so quickly or maybe before they get married to look at what they're getting into and the impact that decisions may have if for some reason they're not ready to make that commitment for life. And so, and I, wanna, I just want to say, though, on the political side, I think it's important for us to not lose sight of what we see and not get wrapped up in the federal judiciary. That is not the court of public opinion. That is not the people speaking. The people have spoken over 30 different times on marriage issues in states, and even most recently in 2012. In North Carolina, they had a, a, a ballot initiative, and they voted on this for marriage as one man and one woman. And you know what? That issue was not even close. The vote was 61 to 39% in favor of marriage as one man and one woman, and that was even with President Obama uh, campaigning in, that, in North Carolina, as I understand. And that was the polls saying beforehand, oh, this, this is not going to win. Uh, marriage between one man and one woman is going to lose. And so the only polls that we should be trusting are when the people go to the ballot box. And when that's happened, this side on marriage is won. Uh, so uh, let me just say uh, that uh, now 44 per, uh, mar- uh, marriage equality is the law in 44% of the country now. Well, the, but, the Supreme Court has stayed some of those decisions. But I, but I want to agree with you on something. And I like what you said about divorce and no-fault divorce. So it leads me to a point that I wanted to make, which is I think some of the arguments against marriage equality that I've heard are this notion that gay parents can't be good parents or it's bad for children. Well, I think there is now considerable social science research and credible research that proves that that's just not the case. And in fact, the best thing for a kid is to have two parents, whether they're both men, both women, or a man and a woman, uh, and, you know, if, if we were really concerned about kids, we would make divorce illegal rather than marriage. Between Are you in favor of divorce being illegal? <laughs> I'm for that, yeah, sure. I'll make it harder. Well, hey, I'm with I, you. If, I'll make it harder. I, I would, no, I, I mean, I'd love to see, I would love to see more legislators step out and say, we need to have laws on the issue of divorce 
that lead people to not make a decision so quickly, that is something that we have talked to legislators about for numerous sessions. Um, and that is well documented on that issue because when it comes down to it, we care about those individuals and the voiceless in that situation so oftentimes is the child. So I'm glad there's another Republican that thinks that it shouldn't be so easy in our policy to get divorced. All right. All right so Representative Krauss, are we going to see a bill filed this session banning divorce? What, <laughs> what, what do you think? Don't I mean, know. What do you think legislatively uh, the future holds uh, in Texas? I mean, do you expect to see you filed legislation in the past on on issues around equality on college campuses? Um, what do you think the legislature is going to do next with regards to same-sex marriage? Is there anything to do at this juncture? You know, I, I don't see anything changing from a legislative perspective in this next session. Uh, with the Senate uh, that we're going to have, the House we're going to have, I don't see us uh, making a major policy shift. I will say this, though. I, I did file one bill that uh, caused Mary and I not to speak for a month um, that, uh, that, that we didn't do, but I also filed a, a bill about divorce, uh, extending the waiting time when children are involved with no-fault divorce. So, and, and I always want to tell people that that's my concern. I, my biggest thing is... Uh, making sure that kids have the best environment to grow up. I, I think social science, I think a lot of it has shown that uh, if you have gay parents, then that is equivalent to other heterosexual uh, situations outside of one man and one woman raising their children. I think we've seen time and time again one man, uh, one father, one mother raising that context still gives kids the best chance. And I think uh, an issue much bigger than same-sex marriage is uh, the fatherlessness rate in, in America. And I think 40% uh, of the kids born in 2009 or 2010 were born without a father. And, uh, and a study was done that said uh, those children who grew up without father have a higher instance. They, they did a control study. And, and these people experienced the five maladies, mental illness, hypertension, heart disease, suicide, and malignant tumors all had one thing in common, and that was the lack of a father. Wait, uh, are you suggesting that not having a father leads to tumors? No, no, I'm not. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying, it, 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 if you let me finish, that, that this study was done, and, and it showed that these five uh, very serious maladies, and they said, what's the one common factor? And it was a lack of a father figure in their life. And, and you're going to say, okay, which Regner study was this, right? You know, um, But it was actually Johns Hopkins who did this in the 1970s, way before the equality uh, movement was going. I think it just underscores the importance of, of the father and the mother. And so, again, that's John Hopkins that said that. These five that were most common was the lack of a, of a father. So um, I can send you that study if you'd like to see it, because it's actually very fascinating. But so, so that's it for me. Anything that breaks that, that down, whether it's divorce in the heterosexual community, whether it's infidelity, adultery in the heterosexual community, or anything uh, in, in, on the LGBT side that breaks down, that's where I get concerned, and that's why it's an issue for me. I will say, though, Emily, there is a study that says that for children of divorce, statistically, their uh, life expectancy rate is cut by five years. I'm going to have a lot of studies in my inbox after this. <laughs> um, so let's talk about, about domestic partner benefits. Obviously, there have been efforts at the local level in Texas to provide uh, in, public, uh, in public entities you know, domestic partner benefits. There have been some legislative efforts to try uh, to curb that in places where lawmakers did not feel it was appropriate. Uh, what do you think the trend is in Texas on, uh, on domestic partner benefits at the local level, if not at the legislative level? Well, I'm involved in litigation at that issue. I, I don't mean to, I'll be brief because I don't want to, you know, feel like uh, I'm the only one that can talk about a this issue. A Wendy Davis filibuster? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, there's ongoing litigation on this issue right now because the mayor of Houston has attempted to use the Windsor decision from last Supreme Court term to say that that has now allowed uh, the city of Houston to acknowledge marriages from other states. That's not what the Supreme Court said. And I don't think we've talked about that yet. Windsor Supreme Court said, if anything, it did say the state's historically are the ones that make a decision about defining marriage. That's good for Texas 
uh, for people that are on my side of the issue, if you will, in our current law. But so there's a lawsuit against the mayor because she's tried to institute same-sex benefits. That case was successful in state court to stop the mayor from doing that because she did it by executive order. The city charter says you have to have the people do it. Um, we won in state court. They removed it to federal court. The city and mayor did. The judge just about a month ago sent the case back to state court and said, no, this belongs in state court. And so that'll get going very soon. And so that issue um, will, will be hot again. But the attorney general has already weighed in on this as well and made it clear that, um, that same-sex benefits, uh, based on our current state law and policy, are illegal and unconstitutional. So that's a pretty significant uh, issue, and I don't see how there's anything legislative that could overcome that at this point. Mary, did you want to jump in? I know there have been a lot of conversations about this in El Paso. Well, and I'm really proud of El Paso because El Paso has been one of the first cities and counties to allow for domestic partner benefits and, and really demonstrate how Texas is behind when we don't allow for domestic partner benefits. It hurts our economy. We lose potential um, employees. For example, I'm still a student here at the University of Texas at Austin. And there's conversations about how we don't get the same access to faculty who are amazing faculty won't even consider coming here because we don't allow domestic partner benefits. Texas suffers when we don't promote equality and inclusive, inclusivity. And so um, in regards to Houston, I love Anise Parker, um, confession. And, and I think that, that she has done a lot to make sure that we, are, that we are being inclusive and equal to all people. Neil, what other types of legislation are, are we seeing? I mean, I know that there is a same-sex divorce case uh, that's been working its way through the courts in Texas. Uh, I saw a story in the Texas Observer this week about a woman who was married to another woman in California, moved to Texas, and could not get a driver's license because she had taken her partner's last name. What types of litigation are we seeing here, and what are we likely to see in the coming years? There are, actual, there are actually several state decisions relating to uh, the right to, you know, to marriage equality. Two of them involved divorce, divorce uh, one arising out of uh, the uh, Austin Court of Appeals. And in those cases, uh, those are people who are married in another state, moved to Texas, the relationship broke up, and they wanted to be divorced because they were lawfully married in California or another state. Um, and what uh, the, the state has taken the position, the attorney general has taken the position, that they're not permitted to be divorced because their relationship was declared void by state law. Now, if you're against gay marriage, you should be for gay divorce, I think. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the opponents want to, want to prevent uh, the, the, these couples from divorcing. I would also add another aspect of this, this family law, the family law protections. Um, you know, I want to, I'd like to persuade Representative Krauss that actually opposing marriage equality uh, promotes government spending, increases government spending, and increases uh, the, the activities of government. And, and, and this is how. If you're in an opposite-sex marriage recognized by law and you break up, the non-earning partner can get spousal support, the child of the non-earning partner can get uh, child support. And why, why do we do that? Well, in part we do that so that people will not fall into the government's hands. Because if that person isn't supported, and, and I think Representative Krauss uh, adverted this, referred to this, um, they fall into government assistance. They will end up having to have food stamps and other public assistance because they aren't given the protections that the law provides to opposite-sex couples when they break up. Well, if you provide the same protection to same-sex couples, then you will take also those people out of risk of falling into the, uh, the government assistance it, when they break up because the more uh, wealthy, 
uh, higher earning spouse will have to help support the other spouse until that spouse gets his or her feet under them economically. And so really when you, when you, when you deny marriage equality to same-sex couples, you increase government spending because the natural result is that you're going to end up having one less economically feasible person uh, more subject to needing government aid in that circumstance. So I, I just want to ask a question about the ballot box, and that is, is this an issue, you know, I think a lot of people, the, the jury's still out on how much women's health issues are going to drive, you know, people to the ballot box here in Texas. Is gay marriage, is same-sex marriage an issue that mobilizes people to the polls, or is this something that people talk about and then it doesn't really play into their, you know, into their thinking when they come to the ballot box? I'm curious nationally, Mark, and I'm also curious, uh, Matt, in Texas. Uh, no, I mean, the, the, real, the political reality is no. I mean, this is not a top five issue, top ten issue either. I mean, it's not a, it's not a driving issue. I mean, the, the driving issues are the issues that almost always are. I mean, they're more about fundamental economics, uh, education, uh, those sorts of issues. But, but, but it, it's, 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 it's part of the constellation of the sort of value system that you present as a party. And, uh, you know, I, I'll just I'll say it one more time. The thing that attracted a lot of Democrats and independents to support George W. Bush was the idea of compassionate conservatism uh, on issues that, like immigration and education. And, and my view is that the Republican Party has become more focused on caustic conservatism than compassionate conservatism. And, and so my view is just politically for the party to grow and evolve and keep in step with the times, this is an issue that we've got to get in step with. And you travel, obviously, a lot in the South, uh, you know, by virtue of the work you're doing with Southerners for Freedom to Marry. Where does Texas rank as you go among these Southern states on this particular issue? Well, let me put it this way. If we were to wait on legislation, we'd be waiting till all of us die. <laughs> well, and, and I would say as a counterbalance to that, the last time Republicans did have national relevancy and, and occupied the White House, 2004, your boss, one of the things that propelled him was Ohio. And if you remember, Ohio had a marriage amendment on the ballot as well. And that's what a lot of people give a lot of credit to for turning out the votes, turning out the grassroots that gave George Bush the victory in Ohio, which gave him back the White House. And well, we I've got some research that refutes that. I'll okay. send that to you. Well, I haven't seen that. Like I said, <laughs> Here, here's your pinky. Here's We're my gonna line. Study so, study. I'm sure you do. <laughs> that's what I've always heard. So, and, and that year, we also had major gains in the House and the Senate, which I think was unprecedented. So, again, I don't think we should run away from it at, at the ballot box. Like you said, I think it has the ability to drive up the intensity going to it. But when I talk to constituents, that's usually not the first thing. It's the immigration, uh, it's education, it's water, it's transportation. That's what's really driving them, who has the best plan going forward. Well, I would say, though, in regards to Texas, that we, we at least have to mention a very important um, issue that happened in the Republican primary earlier this year, where you had candidate um, running against a very entrenched long-term incumbent in the Dallas area. Senator John Corona was the first Republican that I'm aware of statewide in Texas to come out and say that his position on the marriage issue was evolving. Well, he didn't get reelected. He lost in his primary, and uh, the opponent, the one that was elected, Don Huffines, uh, was clear about his position in supporting marriages between one man and one woman. And that is a, was an issue in that um, election. How much of it, you know, I don't know. I'm not a pollster. Uh, but I know that it was relevant, and uh, I know that's a most recent example. So I certainly think in Texas it matters, and, and I've seen it cross Dem to Democrats as well, particularly in the African-American and Hispanic community. These issues of marriage and how you define it matter a lot. 
Like, you're a Latina. <laughs> as yes, a Hispanic myself. And as a Latina myself, I think it's very problematic <laughs> to, to, just to, to put communities of color positioned against LGBT equality because I think that is a common, again, tactic that the conservative, conservative, conservatives use to say that people of color are against marriage equality. And, and, and the truth is that our communities aren't. Latino community is for family. When I came out to my family, my family originally wasn't very LGBT friendly, but after coming out and after having those conversations, my whole family, my Republican father, is now very supportive of marriage equality. And I think family is more important than, po than po um, political issues in the Latino community. So I, I really get triggered when people position these communities against each other. But in regards to using, saying in Texas, that LGBT um, issues move people to vote certain ways, maybe, but there's also stories on the other side, stories like my story, when people told me if you're openly out, you will not get elected. And people voted for me because I was openly out. There's stories like the, the sheriff of Dallas County, who was also openly out, and she was able to, to overcome, not overcome, but she was also able to win her election um, talking about LGBT issues. So you can, we can present it in one side. There's also counter stories that exist to demonstrate how maybe Texas is a little bit more progressive than we allow it to, 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 to be. So to take this conversation full circle before we open it up for questions, are we headed for the Supreme Court here uh, on this issue? I mean, where, where is this going to end up legally? There, there are definitely already four circuit court opinions that are finding their way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court will decide this issue. Um, and I think all eyes are on Anthony Kennedy, who decided the <laughs> Windsor decision. Um, I think we can all handicap where we think that's going to come out. Um, but he was pretty clear in, in Perry he wanted to address this issue. Um, and uh, he didn't get the opportunity to. Now, it's been more than a year since June 2013 when Windsor was decided. The Supreme Court will decide it, and it will be uh, the, the, they will answer the question as to whether there's a constitutional right. Uh, to be married. Well, we'll go ahead and open it up to questions because there are generally a lot for this topic. Uh, please uh, come to the microphones. And like I said, this is really important. This is a time for questions. That means one sentence that ends with a question mark. It's not a time for statements. So, yeah. Go ahead. It's a run-on question. Yeah. My name is Jordan Brown. I'm a graduate student at Texas State. Um, Representative Krauss, first of all, as a a uh, child of an only mother, I'm now very concerned about the number of tumors I have in my body, but um, why should we trust the studies that you quoted from the 70s when other studies saying that two parents of any gender that are from the present day uh, have been put forward? Yeah, uh, thanks for your question, Jordan. Um, and, uh, and, and again, I'm not meaning to say anybody who grows up in a single parent home can't achieve, isn't going to be healthy, is going to have tumors. I'm just saying what John Hopkins said back in the 1970s. And I think if you look at all the, the recent research that has been done, a lot of those have some sampling errors in them. Either the, the sample size was too small, they utilize snowballing. Are you aware of what that is? How it just kind of builds on. It's not a true sample size. You just kind of go in a, in a limited thing. Um, and not only that, but they haven't studied the long range effects of what's going on. It's just one snapshot. So in order to have a true picture of, of, of the consequences, benefits, whatever, of, of certain makeups, I don't think we've seen that study yet. The closest we've come, I think, is to the Mark McNair study in 2012. Now, I know a lot of people uh, don't, yeah, thank you. That's exactly <laughs> right. When, when you say that, but he had by far the largest sampling size. It was national uh, sample size, followed him over a longer period of time. In fact, the journal that he published his study in, there were three other studies 
based on the same subject in there that said we got our inquiry point from his study. So, um, and, and in that one, he didn't say that uh, uh, same-sex parents could not do a good job. He did not say that they're terrible parents. He did not say anything. He just said when you compare them to the relationships and what he saw with one father, one mother in a, in a context of marriage, then there seem to be benefits to the heterosexual marriage. Again, that's not saying that homosexual parents can't be good parents or can't do a good job. Mark, that's just what he found. Yeah, I just wanted to, to hit the, the specific citations. Child Welfare League, American Medical Association, and American Academy of Pediatrics all say children raised in same-sex household do just as well in every aspect of life as kids raised by heterosexual parents. Let me just say one other thing, too, which is... Let me say one other thing, too. If this argument had any credibility, the attorney general would have used it in our suit uh, rising out of the Western District of Texas. The attorney general did not have enough confidence in the Regnaris and other junk science that that we've seen to put it in the record and to argue this point. And that would have been one, if there was good science, the resources of the state of Texas are enough that the attorney general would have come forward with it. The attorney general determined that that was not uh, worth putting forth at the district court level and losing all credibility. Well, I'm not aware of the attorney general ever saying that. But I think there's no question that there's a debate going on in the country about these different studies. And for somebody to try to label them, um, you know, just because it doesn't fit their case and for them to win, I think is, uh, is unfair. There's no question. There are a lot of social scientists. There are studies coming out. But the studies that talk about kids doing best, with a, being raised with a mom and dad, that they're biological parents, those have been coming out for decades. And so if there's new information when it comes to same-sex couples, those are very new, and they have not been vetted like these other ones were, and I think it's way too soon to be making these conclusions. But I will say as a PhD PhD student, (laughs) as someone who does research uh, as my daily life, Studies can, a researcher can make a study determine anything it really wants to do. So just because sure. it says study in front of it doesn't always make it right. Let's go out to the audience again here, and we're going to try to move through these fast so we get as many of you as possible. Go ahead. Hi, my name's Colleen. I'm a licensed social worker here in Austin. Um, in addition to being against same-sex marriage, the Texas GOP recently put on their um, party platform that they promote reparative therapy. And so my question is why, um, I'm kind of, aiming this towards Mr. McKinnon, but I'd love to hear from all of y'all. Um, why do you think that Texas GOP would promote this platform when, including social workers, but most, if not all, of the mental health providers have condemned this practice because it is harmful? Why do you think the party put that on their platform, and how do you think it you know, affects this, mar- this debate about same-sex marriage? Well, I think it's, I think it's a problem, and I think the, the, the party platforms are places where minority voices within the party often express themselves uh, and, and get those sort of things in the platform, which I think are destructive for the party. I'm, I'm proud to say that the Freedom to Marry campaign is spending a million dollars over the next uh, year or two to specifically go in and change that kind of language. Can, can I talk to that? Yes, yeah. please. Oh. Go ahead. No, yes. Okay. Please. The reason that plank was in the GOP platform is because, you know, at, at all the conventions that if you're a delegate, you can offer your own platform and go through the whole process. Well, that plank was offered by a member who had been through reparative therapy. And he thought it, it was very good for me. It was very beneficial. It helped my life and enriched my life greatly. And he saw states like California, New Jersey, and other places said you cannot have reparative therapy. And he thought it was so beneficial for me. What if there's somebody else out there who wants to at least explore that? 
they should be given the liberty to do that. So it wasn't saying that you had to go to reparative therapy. It wasn't saying that we encourage everybody to go to reparative therapy. We just said, hey, that's going to be an option along with A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H on, on if, if you feel like you need it. The person wanted to put that in there. He did. So, I, I mean... I think people made that a lot bigger deal than it needed to be because it was beneficial for that person. How can you tell that person it wasn't beneficial? He wanted to give other people the same opportunity, and that's what it said. It's interesting language you use, Representative Krauss, because you said the liberty to go to reparative therapy, repetitive therapy, which we know, reparative therapy, uh, which we know um, has harmful effects, but you shouldn't have the liberty to have equal access to marriage. I mean, liberty in one case, but not liberty in another. Well, no. That's not right. Because there's no fundamental right to reparative therapy, right? But there is a fundamental right to marriage, which means marriage has to mean certain things. And you can't just take away what that means and take out the strictures. I'm in agreement. With me? Marriage Marriage is a fundamental right. Yes, it is a fundamental right. Yeah, a fundamental right for one man and one woman to come together in the context of marriage to have children. Let's there we disagree. Question. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Making progress. Here. There you go. Uh, hi, my name is David Davis. I'm an editorial board member at the Daily Texan, and I had a question for Representative Krauss. Uh, you, in the beginning, uh, said that the reason that we need to have a limiting principle for marriage is so that we can raise children. But there are many heterosexual couples that are legally able to get married that don't produce children either out of choice or out of inability. So should those couples, what is your rationale then for not allowing um, same-sex marriage? Or do you think those couples should also have their rights taken away from them? No, and and that's a good question. That's what you often hear. Uh, That's a great question that you bring up. But uh, I heard it stated one time, uh, one way that they they talked about the uh, the Phoenix Suns. Are, Are the Phoenix Suns a basketball team? I think we'd all agree, yes, they are. So what's the ultimate goal of a basketball team? To win the NBA championship every year. Have the Phoenix Suns ever won an NBA championship? No. So are they, but are they still a basketball team? Yeah, they are still a basketball team. So just because they haven't reached that ultimate goal, they have everything in place. They have all the characteristics. They have everything put together to get to that point. Now, those people who are married who choose not to do it or who can't have children, it, it just means that they are not able to meet that uh, final goal of having children or that they choose not to, but everything else is in place for them to do that. By definition, with single-parent households or uh, same-sex marriage households, you don't have that possibility in place. Uh, and so I, I think that makes a difference. Well, in, in, in regards to this issue, though, infertility, a lot of the discussion is about what is marriage. Because we get back to this question, and if marriage is between one man and one woman raising children, if you have two men that enter into a, a relationship like that that's called marriage, or two women, that sends the signal or sends, sends a message to society and to other people that a father is really not relevant or maybe a mother is really not relevant. That's not the case when it comes to an infertile couple of uh, uh, people of opposite sex. Because even if they get married and they can't have children... Um, even though the state may not even look into that, but if they can't have children, they're still a mom and a dad together. Their union is not sending the message to other people that a mom's not really relevant or a father's not really relevant. And that is when we get back to this issue of what marriage is, you understand why that concept and that policy um, is not, does not have a negative impact simply because someone may uh, be infertile. Uh, as, as, as a woman, and I, I find this conversation very troubling, but I want to say, while you're working to define what is marriage, I want to dis- define what is discrimination, because that's all that we're talking about right now. Well, and I think that, I think the, um, 
I think the, the point you bring up about discrimination is incredibly relevant because that's what we're seeing is religious discrimination is on the rise. So because every time you, you look at the you look at the business in New York who for religious reasons says that they will not have a same-sex wedding ceremony on their private business, even though they'll have other events for same-sex couples. They were, they were punished by the by New York government, $13,000. New Mexico punished an individual photographer who said that they she would not photograph a same-sex wedding ceremony, even though she photographed the couple in another setting, because her religious belief says that's not a marriage. These laws and these changes are being used as weapons against people of religious faith, and we're going to see more of it. Can I just say... Can I just say, I'm glad that federal courts don't decide decisions based on the arguments that either of these gentlemen have made. Uh, What you put your finger on is an argument that's very important in constitutional analysis, and that is, if you have a law and you're justifying it as it serves a a, a purpose, and in this case, the state's saying, well, uh, marriage serves a purpose of uh, promoting responsible procreation, and you come back with the argument, but we let people marry who don't intend to have children or can have children, then that, what that means is the law is under-inclusive or over-inclusive. And it's an important part of the analysis. But what it really shows is that the marriage laws are not about procreation at all. They're not, they're not based on procreation. They're based on the union of two people. And what those two people are permitted to marry whether or not they want to have children or not. And so it just exposes the fallacy that there's some reason why people of the same sex should not be permitted to marry. Let's go out to the audience again. Yes, ma'am. Okay, uh, my name is Nicole Neff, and I'm a senior at Howard Payne University. I'm currently researching my senior thesis, and it is including um, gender identity. I'm researching whether or not the gender identity and, in retrospect, sexual orientation should be considered a suspect class and, in turn, be considered under strict scrutiny instead of intermediate scrutiny. So I'm just wondering about your thoughts on that. My thoughts? Yeah, well, I know. Her. All of you. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a very that's a that's a a legal issue, yes. and and of course, what if you look at the Windsor decision, the Windsor decision, the analysis that the Supreme Court went through seems to have it applied a heightened level of scrutiny to a law that was aimed at uh, uh, gays and lesbians, and 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 it went through the process, although it didn't say. Justice Kennedy never said, this is heightened scrutiny as opposed to a rational basis test. He didn't apply a rational basis test. Now that I put everyone to sleep here, <laughs> I do think that if the Supreme Court determines that, uh, that heightened scrutiny is appropriate when it, where a law uh, is aimed at gays and lesbians and depriving them of their rights, it will have an, uh, necessarily a protective uh, effect on the rights of gays and lesbians in other areas. Thank you. My name is Walter Lopez. Before I make my questions to Mr. Sands, I want to say um, I'm Latin, and you, you mentioned the Latin element in your analysis also, and you should know that in Latin America, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Peru right now discussing about the issue of uh, equal marriage or marriage to, for gay couples. Um, you mentioned two elements, and forgive me if I'm misquoting you. Uh, number one, you said that definition of married, marriage between men and women is being, it shouldn't change because it's been there for a while. And the second thing is it, it appears the majority in Texas believes that marriage should only happen to occur between men and women. So having said that, uh, you should probably know that achievement in equality has it been gone through referendums in history 
or because the majority want it. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have these ladies in the room, but which now have equal rights to us to come to school and have voting rights. Uh, we wouldn't have probably people that descend from slaves because slavery wouldn't be abolished if we had made a referendum. So the question is, what is, what those cases, why those cases are different from equal, equality in marriage? Why, why those items that I just mentioned? Well, there's no question that the issue of, of race in our history was, was largely tied to a white supremacy movement and things of that nature that happened in going back to slavery. And there were all kinds of legislative efforts that were owing, ongoing on that issue. Um, and some people try to compare this issue to uh, the Loving versus Virginia uh, case. And so, you know, African Americans have come out on their own and talked about how that is not the same. And even the analysis of the court. And, and in that situation, they've tried to say, oh, well, religious people back then were, you know, for slavery. There were Catholics and Baptists that were for saying that marriage on this issue is it's not about race. And so that you should have these people being allowed to marry. So none of that, none of that compares. And so, but what we're seeing is you, you talked about the status of things here in Texas. And what um, I think is the big issue here and causes a lot of a conflict on this is because the judiciary and the executives like the mayor in Houston and President Obama are forcing these issues on people without having gone through the legislative process. So it seems illegitimate, if you will, and people feel like the government is forcing it on them. And so the question a lot of times is, if the public opinion, if you will, has changed, then why hasn't a bill gone through the legislature in Texas to repeal the marriage laws? Because that's been tried a couple of times, and it's never come out of committee. And so if it's been a disrespect of the will of the people and the democratic process. And I think a lot of people that aren't sure where they are on this issue at least think, you know what, why doesn't this work itself out in the democratic process um, instead of to the judiciary? And Mr. Lane said a minute ago that he wouldn't trust the, the I think I heard him say he wouldn't trust the, a judge or a court on some issue. Well, then th why not on this issue? So why? I think that's the question and that is the issue. If you saw this going through the democratic process, you'd have these debates. And a lot of the arguments made in these briefs are legislative and policy debates that belong in the Capitol, not in the courtroom. It's improper for the judges to take the role they have and take it away from the people, and that's where there's a lot of conflict and concern on this issue. The, the law of the land, let me just say, the, the issues that you raised, discrimination by laws based on sex, race, national origin, those are all similar to this. They're exactly analogous. They're identical. And the reality is, is that we have a constitution. It's the law of the land. It was ratified in Texas. It is the law of the land. And it says the people who are in a minority who don't have the political power to win an election, say, on marriage equality, they have the rights to the equal protection of the laws. And that is the law of the land. And they don't have to wait to win an election to get rid of school segregation or restrictions on voting rights or numerous, you know, numerous other things. The law is already there, and it is you get to be treated the same as everyone else. It's a deeply conservative principle because the notion is if we empower everyone and everyone has an equal shot, then those who are best and those who are the, the most capable are going to rise to the top and society is going to benefit. We've got time for one more. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Andres Zambrano from Howard Payne University. And I come from a community that's very conservative. And as Republican, we're predominantly viewed as conservative. My question is, with this issue, what is the proper way for the Republican Party in order to be part of the 21st century? How should a conservative community address this issue? 
Well, uh, I, I, would, I would frame it the way that I, I began by saying that you know, our fundamental principles are about expanding freedom, limiting government, and building stronger families, and marriage equality will result in exactly that. Well, and I will tell you what I hear from a lot of people is that um, redefining marriage and not having any principle to really base it on after that point will destabilize marriage. And that is a concern that conservatives have. That is a concern that Republicans and Democrats have. And so we're already seeing some evidence of that. And I, I think that is a part of the compassionate of caring about the family, caring about individuals, and wanting to protect that stability that does have an impact on our economy and society. By the way, I, I said uh, my way to lifetime, but if, if the Supreme Court didn't rule, and I b am among those who believe it will and it will uphold marriage equality, uh, if that didn't happen, all the 30-year-olds who are Republicans in Texas right now would be 50 in 20 years and in the legislature, and they would vote to affirm it. <laughs> well, and, and, and I would say, uh, for me, as a conservative Republican, I think you've got to frame the issue as it's not you don't want... Uh, same-sex marriage, you, you think it's terrible, you don't think it's right. I think you have to put it in terms of anything that takes away from the relationship between a father and a mother raising children in that context, permanent, exclusive. Yeah, that, if you frame it like that, anything that takes away from, again, the fatherlessness, the divorce rate, anything that takes away from that, I think, is, is, what, is what concerns and alarms you. All right, we're going to wrap up. Thank you to our panelists for being under the firing squad. Nice job. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. I think we all have the hope of making things better for everybody. Enjoyed it.